If I didn't know, I mean truly know, that the Lord has given me a message this morning, after this time of worship, I just call it right now. <laughs> I'm serious. I'm very serious about that. I just say amen and let us go on. What a, what a time of, of reflecting and celebrating God's goodness and to pray to our Lord Jesus Christ, his power, his healing, his life. He brings it all. Amen? Amen. What an incredible, incredible morning we've already had. I really want to talk about something that's closely tied with what we've been singing about. That is the blessing of God in our lives. You know, I've already told you, I want to speak on generosity. We're going to go back to that theme this morning, but that comes out of the overflow of God's blessing. That's absolutely crucial to understand. We're talking about giving in the church. We're talking about generosity among God's people. We're talking about an inside-out kind of virtue. It's not something imposed from outside. It's something that wells up from the inside, and it is a response to the goodness of God that has been lavished on each one of us. That's so clear in what Paul says about the subject in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. I want to turn there, and I'm going to read starting in verse 6. Paul says, remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your own heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Now, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion, and through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Jesus Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their hearts for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. That last line so interesting because Paul's talking about our gifts, how we are to give, and yet it's quite clear, quite clear 
that we give because God has first given to us. And as we give, God gives yet more so that by the end of this passage, Paul says, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift, including the gift of allowing us to give. That's a remarkable passage. It starts in an interesting way because Paul emphasizes free obedience. He says, each of you should give as you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion. How much should I give? When should I give? To whom should I give? The answer is give as you decide in your heart to give. It should come from within. That's what Paul says. And when you give, it should be a free gift. It shouldn't be something you are reluctant to do or compelled to do. Every year, businesses across the United States have a United Way campaign. And I'm sure a lot of good is done because of it, but I've heard more than one person complain of the pressure they feel to contribute. And every year, churches talk about stewardship, and it's not uncommon for people in church to feel pressured to contribute. But Paul says none of that is appropriate. Not reluctantly, but also not under compulsion. You give as you decide in your heart to give. It's from the heart. It's free obedience. That's what he's talking about. So we give and we give freely, not because we have to, but because God has blessed us and we want to. Now, it's certainly true that even when you want to, sometimes it's hard, right? Because because there are, there are things that enter your mind that make you a bit nervous of taking that step, writing that check or clicking that online gift or whatever it may be. I'm not really, I'm not really friendly with water. I didn't grow up around water. I didn't get swimming lessons. So even to this day, water and I don't get along all that well. I do swim, at least what I call swimming. But I am here to tell you that it is a myth that if you relax in the water, you'll float. <laughs> you will not float, you will sink, which is why I never relax, never. So, so I didn't grow up around water. I didn't have access to a swimming pool. Till around 11 years old, we, we, our family had access to a public swimming pool. And so I went and I saw those diving boards over there. One was the low one and one was the high dive. And I thought, I want to go off that high dive. I really wanted to. I mean, I wanted to. It looked like a lot of fun. Other people were doing it. I wanted to go off that high dive. So I went to the high dive and I went up the ladder and I walked out on it and suddenly my want to was compromised. You know, from a distance, it doesn't look that high, but when you're looking down, it was frightening. So I really, really wanted to, but I was afraid to take the leap. And that's the way it is for a lot of us with giving. We do want to. It is in our hearts. We want to give but we have to struggle just a bit with that feeling that if we take the leap, we might lose something. We might go without. 
I want to show you a video of some children. Now, this video actually actually is tied into Christmas and Christmas giving. And I'm well aware we're not yet exactly in the Christmas season. But if you are up to date, you would know that with the supply chain problems we have, you better start shopping for Christmas now. So this is all, this is all to help you get up to speed for the Christmas season. But this is a wonderful video. And in it, we learn something about free giving, also about the things that hold us back, and also something about God's economy of grace. I'll talk about that in just a moment. Go ahead and play the video if you would. Your family matters, not Legos, not toys, your family. So it's either family or Legos, and I choose family. I get gifts every year from my family, and my mom don't get anything. If I get a laptop, my mom will get something. She helps me when I'm sick. She helps me with my homework. She gave me a house to live in. They look out for me and do stuff for me, so I need to get back to them. Now. Have the opportunity to give him something. Because you actually picked the gift for your family, you're actually gonna go home with both. Tell me how you're feeling. I'm feeling really happy and Why? thankful. Just happy. Thankful. For your family? For what? My family, everything. You did make his decision actually. And oh he picked the Pandora Charms. Oh, that is Thanks, guys. I was going to. Mm. 
I've watched that five times and it gets me every time still. This was an interesting video because here the children want to give to their parents. They want that. That's in their heart to do. And then, then they have a dilemma. It's the thing that keeps them from just hesitating just a bit. Are they going to take the plunge or not? And it happens because this was set up as a zero-sum game. Whatever you give means gain for someone else. So they get the gain, but you get the loss. Their gain is your loss. Your gain is their loss. It's a zero-sum game. When it's set up like that, they, they're not quite sure for just a moment. But their heart wins out, and they said, we want to give it to our parents. Now, now it, this is out of gratitude for their families, Next week, I'm going to talk about gratitude, but it's out of gratitude for their families and what their families have done. Now, as adult Christians, our vision's enlarged a little. Yes, our families, but more than just our families, because we're also grateful to God, and God has children across this earth, and they all matter, and they, they all are worthy recipients of love and, and grace. And so, our vision enlarges. But these children, they went ahead and gave. And what they discovered was what looked like a zero-sum game really was not. Because when they let it go, they still received the gift. They received both. Now, remember what Paul says in verse 6. You could call it the Gen, just the, the law of generosity or the economy of grace, where he says in verse 6, whoever gives sparingly will also reap sparingly. The one who gives generously will also reap generously. He's saying it's not a zero-sum game. Some people read it and they think what he's actually saying is you should give in order to get, but that's not it at all. What he's saying is you can give freely without being afraid that you will be diminished, that you will, you will lack something, that, that somehow you'll be giving away what is essential and important. And so that scarcity mentality that causes you to hold back to not take the plunge off the high dive, that is undone when we realize in God's economy of grace, it's not a zero-sum game, but as we give, we receive. And Paul says in the passage, every good thing, it's not simply about money, it's every good thing. We become part of this experience of giving and receiving and, and living in God's abundance. And so those children really, in a way, exemplify the, the situation that, that we face. The key, the key to not being stopped short of giving as you want to give from your heart is to know God's economy of grace. Perhaps the most consequential biblical scholar of our time is a man named Walter Brueggemann. And Brueggemann wrote a poem, it's actually a prayer, 
called On Generosity, and I want to read it to you. It's fairly long, but I want to read the whole thing. On our own, we conclude there is not enough to go around. We are going to run short of money, of love, of grades, of publications, of sex, of beer, of members, of years, of life. We should seize the day, seize our goods, seize our neighbor's goods, because there is not enough to go around. And in the midst of our perceived deficit, you come. You come giving bread in the wilderness. You come giving children at the 11th hour. You come giving homes to exiles. You come giving futures to the shut down. You come giving Easter joy to the dead. You come fleshed in Jesus. And we watch while the blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor dance and sing. We watch and we take food we did not grow and life we did not invent and future that is gift and gift and gift and families and neighbors who sustain us when we did not deserve it. It dawns on us, late rather than soon, that you give food in due season. You open your hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing. By your giving, break our cycles of imagined scarcity. Override our presumed deficits. Quiet our anxieties of lack. Transform our perceptual field to see the abundance, mercy upon mercy, blessing upon blessing. Sink your generosity deep into our lives that your muchness may expose our false lack that endlessly receiving, we may endlessly give so that the world may be made Easter new without greedy lack, but only wonder, without coercive need, but only love, without destructive greed, but only praise, without aggression and invasiveness, all things Easter new all around us, toward us, and by us, all things Easter new. Finish your creation in wonder, love, and praise. Amen. Paul talks of the same thing, different language, different metaphors, but he talks of the same thing here when he describes this generosity cycle that God establishes. Turning back just one more time to our passage, in verse 10, recall his words, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. I've always been intrigued by those words because Paul says, 
that as we're giving, it's like sowing seed. And then there's a harvest. So God increases your store of what? Of seed so that you're able to plant yet more, sow yet more. We give and there's a harvest of blessing. And so we give more and there's a harvest and we give more. He says in verse 11, you will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. That is a gift to be part of that generosity cycle. Somehow we have to learn to leap in the midst of it and begin to function in that cycle that we can know the blessing of God. It's not a matter of giving a gift. It's a matter of entering a lifestyle. I knew a man who lived this lifestyle. He was a remarkable man. It seemed like he was always giving. He would sometimes come to the church and write a check that he wanted sent to someone, but anonymously. He would certainly give to the church. He would give to community ministries. His generosity was amazing. And frankly, we have some people in this church who are the same way. But he was always giving. And one time, the, the church where I was pastoring, every year they would have a, a stewardship emphasis. And so just before that, I asked him, you know, Jimmy, how, how did you come to the place where giving seems so easy for you? I mean, for so many of us, it's hard, but it seems so easy for you. And he said, well, there's really no great secret. I wasn't even taught by my parents to give. He believed very strongly that parents ought to be teaching their children, but he said, I wasn't taught by my parents to give. It's just, I finally decided that if I can buy a ticket to go to a football game, every time I go to the game, I've had to pay for a ticket. He said, I decided when I went to church, I'd pretend like I had a $25 ticket to pay. And he said, that's where I started. At the offering, each Sunday, I'd give $25. said, it wasn't a lot, but that's what got me started. And he said, I found out that I didn't miss it, number one, and I kind of enjoyed doing it, number two. So he started upping from the $25 that he was giving each week. Every time he was at church, he'd give $25. If he's really tight on money, he'd skip church. That, that's exception. <laughs> But again, he said, look, if I go to a football game, I have to pay for the ticket, so I'll just, I'll just write the check. Not super high motivation, but it got him going. But he found that he enjoyed it, and so he started giving to other causes, and it just became a habit. And he said, the blessings that come to me are so great. He said, it's not like I give for the blessing, but, but I sort of do. It's, it's like living a life of blessing. So how does someone start? The way Jimmy started. You just start. You just start. How do you, how do you leap into that generosity cycle? You just start. You start where you are. You start where you are. You give whatever it's in your heart to give. When you feel like it's a little high and you're not sure you want to take the leap, Fight off that temptation and give what's in your heart and begin to do it. 
regularly and see if you don't start finding the same experience that Jimmy talked about. So you start by starting. And I can even take it one step before that, at least for some of us, because ultimately the Lord really isn't all that interested in our money, as if God needs money. God's not all that interested in our money. Giving, giving is something he lets us participate in, but he doesn't really want our money so much as he wants us. And so even before you start giving, if you haven't given your life to God, that's where you begin. That's where you begin. It's like God has this this wealth he wants to pour into your life and you're, you're holding yourself back and you're not receiving it. The first step to a generous life is to open up to God's generosity, to the life that he offers to you. And when you've received that, everything changes and the tenor of your life begins to change as well. And so I'd invite you today, if you don't know Christ as your savior, then ask him to become your savior. That simply means confessing to him what he knows and you know, and that is that you're a sinner. You can't come to Christ except by acknowledging that you're a sinner and he's a savior, the savior. So you confess your sins and ask for forgiveness and ask Christ to come into you by his spirit and cause you to be born anew, to make you a new person with new desires, including the desire to give. That's where you begin if you're not yet a Christian. And if you are a Christian, you just begin in generosity by beginning. Just start giving wherever you are. Pray with me. Lord, we thank you that when we had nothing, you came to us with your wealth. When all we could plead was our sin, you sent Jesus Christ as a savior. We're grateful to you for that. That's, that's everything to us. You are power and healing and life, and we thank you for, for all that you are to us. And we pray, Lord, that you would help us to become a generous people, people who give, people who give freely, not because we have to, Lord, but because we want to and because we understand that you, as the good, abundantly generous God, have made it so that we can give and give and give and not be depleted. And Lord, we pray for anyone here this morning who knows their need of salvation, Lord, would you save them now? Give them faith now. In Jesus' name, amen.